1: Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive twenty percent off IXL membership when they sign up today at ixl.com/audio. Visit ixl.com/audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hey,
2: everybody! This is Richard Dych and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Our guest this week. If you are a fan of professional wrestling, he really needs no introduction. Chris Jericho is now working for All Elite Wrestling, AEW. He hosts the popular podcast Talk is Jericho, lead singer of the band Fozzy, a New York Times best-selling writer, La Champion, the Demo God. Chris Jericho, one of the most, um, quite frankly, one of the most iconic pro wrestling figures in the last three years. Decades. He um, He's doing this um, podcast right before he performs at AEW Full Gear on November 13th at 8 p.m. at the Target Center in Minneapolis. Um, that's pay-per-view. So basically go to any of the providers that you usually use for pay-per-view, and you can see Chris and um, and seeing Chris what he does best, which is perform in the ring. This was just a fascinating podcast for me. Obviously, I think people know I'm a wrestling fan, but you don't have to be a wrestling fan to enjoy this because we talk about professional reinvention chris's ability to change his character over multiple decades for multiple companies and how just you know you can use that in your everyday life there's basically few people in chris's business who've been better at reinventing himself than chris jericho we get very deep into sort of um how he approaches media uh how he chooses the people he speaks with what he consumes and for chris uh he consumes uh, quite frankly a number of uh daily uh wrestling outlet publications so to keep up on what's going on we talk about television and the speaking of the demo guide we talk about viewership of AEW the importance of the eighteen to forty-nine demographic how Chris looks at that and how he looks at that in relation to the WWE talk a little bit about um Chris's role in bringing in wrestlers such as John Moxley into AEW get into uh the podcast, Chris's podcast, is incredibly successful. Talk is Jericho is uh, not just one of the top sports podcasts in the country, but frequently on uh, the top 100 lists in the United States and Canada. Get into a little bit of how Chris chooses his subjects and what uh, what he's interested in when it comes to a podcast guest, and then finally we finish up with. Um, Chris goes pretty granular on his promos. Uh, That's always something interesting to me, how he approaches them, does he practice them beforehand, why they've become so realistic, and how do you navigate throwing realism into a promo, and does that indeed work? So about uh, 52 minutes with uh, Chris Jericho, a, uh, a really interesting figure from the world of professional wrestling, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. Alright, as I said at the top, I'll give him another introduction, although, my lord, if I, if I introduce his whole career, it would take five hours. Chris, uh, Chris Jericho is one of the most successful pro wrestlers in history. If you know that world, um, you are very aware that he's worked and succeeded at nearly every major wrestling organization in history. He's currently part of AEW. Uh, I think it's certainly not a stretch to say that Chris is probably the biggest reason why AEW emerged as a major player, given when he was hired. Um, his next big AEW card is AEW Full Gear that comes on November thirteenth at eight PM at the Target Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can purchase that on pay per view. It'll be Chris's Inner Circle against uh, those evil American Top Team guys. Uh, that is a av- that is available on all major U.S. and Canadian providers, satellite TV, digital streaming. Um, away from. Sports Entertainment. Chris is the lead singer of Fozzie. If you're an AEW uh, fan, you know, Judison. in my mind. He's a New York Times best-selling author. And um, we've had a lot of wrestling people on here. Paul Heyman, Renee Paquette has been on this. Those two have been on this podcast many, many times. Jim Roth, Seth Rollins. And now Chris Jericho joins that list of people from a fascinating world. Chris, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast.
3: One of the greatest days of my life right here,
0: right now.
2: <laughs> Chris, I'm so tired from that introduction. I just want to end the podcast now. I'm exhausted. (laughs) Um, All right. Here's where I want to start. Um, Your ability to reinvent your character is something that... um, No bullshit here. I I honestly believe you could teach a semester-long course at a college on reinvention, and that those lessons could be taken well beyond sports entertainment. Um, You've done this for multiple decades at multiple companies, so... I want to just ask you a broad question, go wherever you want with it. What have you learned are the keys to reinvention and reinventing your character?
3: Well, I mean, I I think it all stems from, um, you know, being a huge fan of, of music and pop culture and all that sort of thing. I always kind of kept an eye on what is it that gives people longevity, right? What is it that made, you know, the Beatles, the greatest band of all time, um, Because they always constantly updated and changed their sound, their look, even though they only lasted for seven years and didn't have the longevity from a time standpoint, from a career standpoint, they pretty much did it all in that seven years. Uh, If you look at, you know, the first Beatles record to the last one, just how much they matured and changed and diversified and basically created a dozen different styles of music from ska to heavy metal to you know avant-garde if you're talking about revelation uh sorry uh um, revolution Revolution. number nine so anyways and then that moves forward to david bowie as well i'm a huge huge david bowie fan and not even a huge fan of his music per se i love david Bowie. a huge fan of his persona and his career arc and what he did was never the same thing It was always a different look different names thin white duke aladdin sane ziggy stardust uh you know there was always something going on with him the tin machine era the 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 Berlin era. So when I first started working on TV every week in in, in WCW, more specifically WWE when Smackdown started and we used to do both shows. And I said, people are going to get bored of me pretty quickly if I'm on TV twice a week and I look the same and I have the same, you know, rap, shall we say, got to change it up. And I remember even the late, great Pat Patterson said, you always have different facial hair every week. And one of the reasons for that is because it was always something different. Subtly, it was something different. I had different tights that I I changed every week. And then I noticed too that they would make an action figure for every set of tights that I wore and every set of facial hair that I have. So now you're making more money too because there's just more diversity in what people can 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 market from you. So all of those things kind of came from, from show business, from rock and roll. And what do I need to do to constantly stay ahead of the curve to go where the puck is going and not stay where the puck has been because then you fall behind. And I never, even when I was in my early 30s, never wanted to be a nostalgia act in any way, shape or form. And that's kind of where the whole mindset came from.
2: That's central. Yeah, it's very Gretzky. Actually, thinks of where the puck's going as opposed to where the puck is. Totally,
3: that's where I got that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The um, Do you think that Do you think that can be applied in everyday life? If I'm an accountant, if I'm a salesperson, or do you think that is specific to the broader show business?
3: Say that one more time.
2: I said do you think that kind of thinking can be applied to um someone who's an accountant or someone who's a salesperson or is it only a sh- or, or is it only sort of broadly something that might work in show business No
3: I mean it's it, that goes for life I mean Gene Simmons uh, told me once he said if you if you are, are a standing pool of water you stagnate the water constantly has to be moving you know, constantly has to be, be re, you know, refiguring itself and reinventing itself. And so this is not just for show business. This is a life lesson. It's I wrote a book. My fourth book is called no is a four letter word. And it's basically a self-help book that anybody could read how I did things in my vocation and in my uh, world, but um, they can be applicable if you're a pharmacist or like you said, an accountant, you know, challenge yourself. Don't, don't always be complacent, be happy with what you have, always be happy with what you have, but don't be happy in the place that you're in. If you think you can do more, because there's always a way to make it happen. You just have to also too take a chance. Sometimes Richard, like that's another thing. Like, you know, when I, it's such a little thing now, but it was a big moment for my career in 2008 when I switched from, uh kind of the y2j character to this new bad guy character and i switched from long tights to short tights it was a Mm. big deal and i got rid of y2j got rid of the countdown got rid of everything that i was known for and said do not call me y2j on uh on commentary don't refer to me in any media or any marketing no more countdown you know, uh, and and no more pictures with the long tights. It's all about this new look and this new image. And once again, the kiss is another great example. This is like when kiss took off their makeup in 1983, you're basically changing everything that people know about you and betting on yourself. So you have to bet on yourself. And if you bet on yourself and you really believe what you're doing can be accomplished and be done, then I'd say nine times out of 10, you're going to win. And that's what, that's what I did. And that's what I've done many times.
2: You mentioned media before, and obviously given the subject of this podcast, um, there's a number of things I want to ask you about. I have read interviews with you, Chris, where you know from um, sort of varied publications is like the Baltimore Sun to some FM station in the United States to you know some podcasts to Stone Cold interviewing you on the WWE network. Um, you know you these are very different publications with very different audiences. Do you have a general approach to when it comes to media requests, and and if so, what is that approach?
3: Absolutely. Once again, I'm in the media. You know, talk is Jericho is is my podcast, and if I can pat myself on the back, it's a very successful podcast for eight years now. Uh, one of the top podcasts in the world, which we have yeah. built up over the last almost decade. And the reason why it's good and the reason why people like doing it is because I know what it's like to get asked the same questions all the time. I know what it's like to try and when someone tries to get the dirt, I know what it's like when I have a guest that doesn't talk and has nothing to say. It's like when you do an interview, you have to understand that you are there to basically entertain you're there to explain what's going on and do it in a way uh, that, that people will be interested in. And if you have nothing to fucking say, then don't do the interview. It's pretty simple. You know, um, and he's a good friend of mine, but I had Mike Tyson on once and I was like, Mike, what's wrong with you? Like he's, he, I don't know if, he was, if it was too early in the morning for him. Well, he just wasn't saying anything. And it's like I, got, I have to fill 45 minutes minimum. That's, that's my show. 45 to 60 is the interview time from my. Uh, rules. I could do five minutes right. if I wanted to. I could do five hours if I wanted to. But I find an hour is the perfect interview time. But when he wasn't saying anything, I had to fill the forty-five minutes with with my stories. So I think my approach to media is have some personality, have some charisma, have some energy, and have something to say. I don't need to be prepped for an interview. I, I don't. I don't need any. You know. Uh, you know. Obviously, if we're going to talk about something, let me know beforehand. But if there's a question I don't want to answer, I'll just weave around it. It's very simple to do. You, you don't have to to tell Chris Jericho how to do an interview because after 31 years, I know how to do an interview. Um, and I know how to, how to uh, be an interviewer, which is another uh, 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 skill that isn't easy to do. So b- being a media person, and once again, too, I'm a trained journalist as well. So I I went to college for journalism. I understand how to write a story. I understand what you're looking for as You know, a host as a writer, you know, and and I think all those things kind of combine to. You can put me in any situation. If you said, "Chris, you're on the Tonight Show in five minutes," and I stepped into a phone booth and came out with my hair washed and a nice suit on, I'll go right on. I don't have to fucking, you know, you don't have to tell me what you want me to talk about. I, I got it. Let's just do it. I think what comes with confidence and experience, but it's also knowledge of how to do and how to give a good interview.
2: When it comes to the places you've worked for. Um, uh, and let's just take the last couple, obviously, you know, AEW and, uh, WWE, do you, do you get a certain number of media requests and then you decide if you want to do them? Do, do the company sometimes ask you, Hey, Chris, this is important to us. How does it work behind the scenes in terms of how you get pitched and then what you ultimately do?
3: Well, I mean, for this one, for example, it was, I think I feel this is important to, to the company, you know? Um, so, and, and they, they're pretty good, AEW specifically, and I've I've had a publicist that I've had for 10 years, Cindy Guajanti out of L.A. They know not yep. to bring me, you know, low-hanging fruit. And that's not from an uh, egotistical standpoint. It's basically just from a time standpoint. Like when we do a Fozzie press uh, tour, I'll get, you know, the ones that I need to get. And there's four other guys in the band that can do, you know, dave's basement podcast which might have ten thousand listeners and it's important to do we never turn down an interview but i don't have to do them all and it's the same with aw we have a roster of i don't know 150 people there's obviously top ones that they're going to get jericho to do and then there's other ones that they can get you know uh, jungle boy to do whatever which gives him more experience to learn how to do an interview for when it's time to do you know the richard dets show so um that's kind of w- w- we have a good uh uh, rapport when it comes to that. So anything that comes across my desk, I know it's important uh, enough that they're not going to bother me if it wasn't, you know, usually we're promoting, like you mentioned, full gear or we're promoting whatever it may be. Cause always lots of stuff going on. And also then for me, I do a lot of interviews on my own, just through Cindy. And also I do some for fun. You know, I, I basically just do the ones that I want to do. And I know there is, I think, a company lockdown for most people where you have to go through the company and you should. But for me, like I said, you don't have to worry about me saying something stupid that's going to get out and cause a brouhaha. <laughs> so uh, I pretty much pick and choose the ones that I want to do. And then for Talk is Jericho, my net of topics is very large. So I'm constantly doing interviews. I mean, I had two yesterday. I've got two tomorrow. I've got another one on Tuesday, but that's for my show. So it works both ways. Sometimes I do an interview for Talk is Jericho for an hour, then I'm done at two o'clock then i switch over to the aw press like i do for an hour then i'll switch back to another talk as jericho so i'm wearing both hats which once again helps me understand what both sides of the coin need even more
2: i'm gonna get to talk as jericho because i think it's uh i think it's a sort of been a pretty fascinating experience to see that sure. grow. by the way thank you for thank you for slumming uh doing the low-hanging fruit by doing this podcast. <laughs> they
3: don't bring me low-hanging th- fruit i said <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you how chris how you've been in the business as you said yeah you know, three decades um are, do you actively read those who cover uh, uh, wrestling daily? People like Dave Meltzer, Brian Alvarez, Justin Barrasso, David Bixenspan. Is that like is that part of your reading diet? Was it ever part of your reading diet?
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I remember reading the Wrestling Observer newsletter when I was training for wrestling in Calgary in 1990, and it came on yeah. uh, white pieces of paper that were typed. <laughs> Bing, (laughs) Bing. And they were photocopied and the the head of the boxing and wrestling commission, Lori Mills. Why? I remember that. I have no idea would have these and would give them to our trainer and Lance Storm. And I would like, Oh my gosh, what are these things? It's like reading, you know, billboard magazine. If you're a rock and roll fan or variety magazine, if you're a movie fan, like you're behind the scenes stuff. So uh, I've been reading them for 31 years. You know, I remember one of the, the coolest days of my life was when I started getting a free subscription. When I finally became big enough in the business, that Dave would just send them to me. Um, So yeah, I I do listen. uh, I don't read The Observer anymore. What I do is I listen to Wrestling Observer Live. I listen to the podcast now, which has gone a lot of ways for a lot of my reading. So um, I'll basically hear all the information that I need on the podcast that they do. And, uh, that's a daily thing. And then I'll always check the websites. I check, uh, uh figure four daily, which is wrestling observer as my dog is barking. Sorry. Um, we like, that's no, yeah, all right. It's, good, it's good. good for the audio quality.
2: We like, we like the organic. There you go. you uh, want the real the Chris Jericho. There right? it is. I do. Yeah, exactly. uh, and
3: then I read a couple other sites just to see what's going on. And, and, um, you know, it, it's, it's a good way to kind of keep track of everything. Cause there's so much uh, material and so much content right now, uh, going on in the wrestling world. So that kind of helps me stay on top of everything.
2: Obviously, you know, depending on the outlet, you'd sort of have to ask a specific question. But by and large, do you find that the coverage of the business is accurate, is is true versus what really goes on behind the scenes, which obviously, you know, because you are there?
3: I mean, you know, I've always found uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. So most of the time when you hear something, uh, it, there, there's there's a germ or a kernel of complete truth. Sometimes it goes off the rails. Most of the time it doesn't. I'd say that, uh, you know, most of the time people are, are, are getting the right sources. And, and I don't, like I said, I don't read a thousand different sites. I basically read Dave's site right. and one, or, one, other, one other one that I've been reading just because it's got a lot of information on it. But, um, so most of the stuff that you read on Dave's site is fairly true. And if it's not, it's because somebody gave him the wrong information. I know a lot of people don't like Dave Meltzer for whatever reason, but he's fairly honest. I think he's almost like too honest at times. Um, hmm. he's also very opinionated, but he's also built himself up. He's like Lester Bangs or something. If you're an old school Rolling Stone reader, you know, yeah, Rod- exactly. Ronnie Bingham Bingham's in the New York, uh, you know, uh, media, uh, it's like, these guys have influence because people look up to them, uh, and, and, and trust what they say. So whether you like him or not, he does have a lot of influence in what he does and what he says.
2: Let me ask you about, um, television because it's sort of uh it's such a fascinating part of the the wrestling business um among the many nicknames you have given yourself in your career one of your newest is demo god which honestly is a great nickname I, i'm not come across in my sports media time anybody who's na- named themselves after the 18 of 49 <laughs> demographic but good on you for doing that um how closely a- as a performer how closely do you follow AEW's viewers
3: very closely viewers? i mean I haven't been christened with the EVP uh, name. I didn't want it. I, you know, I, I, right. I didn't want to have anything right. to do yeah. with being the official EVP, but I feel that I'm as much in the weeds with all the details of AW as any of the EVPs are. Um, right. Not as much as Tony, because obviously Tony knows everything, but as much as I can possibly know, I know. Um I think I probably get the information that most people don't. So I, I I follow all of that very closely um, and enjoy. I've always been a numbers guy. I like numbers. I like knowing up-to-date numbers. People that work for me know, you know, when we're on the road with Fozzie it's like, how many, how many pre-sales do we have today? Oh, we have about 800. I don't want about how many fucking pre-sales we have. Is it 780? Is it 820? Find out it's 792. Great that's a number i can live with about 800 tells me nothing so it's the same with with the numbers and the ratings for for AEW and whether i'm on the show or not i follow them very closely who's doing great in the minute by minutes who's constantly leading this demo that demo because there's so many of them there's 18 to 49 there's 18 to 34 there's males 18 to 49 there's females 18 to 49 there's females 18 to 34 there's there's you know 50 plus and all these other uh, um kind of details so i'm very much into that and do follow it because not only does it tell me a lot about what people are watching uh it also tells me if people are watching what i've been doing if it's working um most of the time it does sometimes it doesn't why 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 did the segment go down that i was in this week i want to know i want to try and figure that out did it not go well was the concept not good was there something better after it was there something better before it all that stuff um it goes into my mind. And I think it's why I have such a great relationship with Tony Khan is because he's such a numbers guy as well. Um, You know, we we kind of can, can exchange these, these numbers and, and kind of run them through the, you know, the, the the calculators in our head and kind of find out some more information that you find out. If it's like being a CSI detective, you can find out a lot from those numbers and that evidence, it's not going to be in your face, but you can really learn a lot. If you pay attention to what the numbers that, that you see.
2: That's interesting that you're going sort of that granular until, let's say, like quarter hours and something like that. Do you do the same with your competition? Are you following what uh, no, WWE no. does Monday night? I don't and even, Friday? I just why don't, is that-
3: and not to be uh, blase about it, but I really don't care. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. Um, even when we, we were in the wrestling war, uh, quote unquote, on the Wednesday nights, we never followed what NXT did. Now, when the demos came out, that's why I started Demo God, because everyone was talking about, Uh, NXT sometimes they'd be beating us in overall numbers and I was like you guys don't get it the demo we're killing them well it doesn't matter it's it's all about and I realized very quickly years ago it's not about okay there's a million people watching this show and 500,000 watching this one and the demo of the million is 200,000 and the demo of the 500,000 is 400,000 the 500,000 wins and you're like how does that make sense because the demo is what people base the advertising rates on Right, It's just the way of the world. 18 to 49 is the bread and butter. If you got a bunch of 12-year-olds watching, that's good because they'll grow into 18s. If you got a bunch of 60-year-olds watching, not to be classless, but nobody really cares. That's not the demo they're going for. So when you learn that information, uh, that's all that I cared about is what are we doing as AEW? We never went head-to-head with, with, with NXT and I know for a fact that they had a W on their screens as they were running their show. Oh, there's Jericho right now. I'll keep so-and-so in there a little bit longer or whatever. We didn't worry about that because all we can worry about is our own stuff. How can we tell better stories? How can we better, be a better show? How can we be a better, uh, uh, connect better with our audience? And obviously we did that because NXT ran screaming away from us and completely restructured their whole, their whole show. After they were, you know, basically yeah. embarrassed by 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 AEW, and now AEW is getting to the point where we're starting to get uh, sometimes beating Raw in the demos, beating SmackDown in the demos. That should never be happening right now, but it is. So we're smart enough to, to like, okay. We are inside the castle. How can we make the castle stronger and get more people in the castle? The white walkers are out there, but if we worry about what the white walker strategy is, we'll be paying too much attention to their stuff instead of worrying about our stuff. And someone's going to bust down the, ca- the the castle wall and then we're done. So I think we got to just worry about what we're doing and stay more focused on that. And that's what we do. At least that's what I do.
2: Nice. Yeah. Get some eye of Starks. And then you'll <laughs> there you go. It's dragons. there. For, yeah um so you know what the, the interesting thing about you chris is that you have been uh, you've worked for the the eight pound gorilla you've worked for vince mcmahon so you know what it's sort of like to be at the top wrestling company in the world you're now at this uh company that i think um has so much momentum and i mean i don't know if upstart's the right word maybe that's sort of not fair to aew but you, you you're you're trying to sort of you're not part of the eight thousand pound gorilla. You're you're sort of part of more of the underdog play here. Do you like do you, do you like that ethos at the moment? Because you are someone who has lived in both of these worlds. You've been at you've been at WWE, the most famous wrestling company in the world, and now you're at this place that um, has so much momentum and is gaining new fans.
3: Well, basically, we we now are part of the, the coolest wrestling company in the world, and when you get the cool factor, uh, it's hard to to to, to fight. And it's hard to get as well. And that's one of the reasons why I took a chance. I had done everything I could possibly do in WWE. And and I've said it before, but I'll say it. I said it on Steve's show. The last WrestleMania I did, they put us on second. And that is a who gives a shit spot. First, you're right. great. Last, class, you're great. Yeah. Semi-main event, yeah. you're great. Right. This was just, it's just a match. And we had a great storyline that, in my opinion, was the best on the show for a whole year. And I thought, this is the best work that I've done. If it only ends up second, then my fate is pretty much sealed. Um, when I started working in New Japan and, and headlining the Tokyo Dome, I remember thinking, like, I'm not done in wrestling. As a matter of fact, I could be bigger than I've ever been. I could make more money for a company than I ever have. And that's what we did with New Japan. Kenny Omega and Jericho uh, did the amazing. biggest business that New Japan's ever done in the last 10 years on their, on their uh, streaming service, went up 300%. We sold an extra 10,000 tickets for the Dome. And more importantly, it sparked the idea in Tony Khan that there could be a very successful second wrestling company. So when AEW started, it was a risk for me. You know, um, I did go to Instagram and say, here's what's going on. He said, go. I think he thought I was bluffing when I told him the offer that I had got. And as soon as he said, go, I was like, I'm done. Let's go. And never looked back. Never looked back since. And we created AEW right out of the gate to where three months in, we went from an ad rev share on our show, which you can explain to people what that is. We both know what it is to getting a, 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 a contract for $175 million, right? In three months. It came out of the gate. And why did we get that contract? Because of the demo. It all ties in. Then we go into a freaking pandemic. What do you do? Wrestling in front of nobody. No one's ever seen that before. We still kept our stories. I did a 14-week program with Orange Cassidy last year that had we been in front of fans would have been a classic program. Unfortunately, we didn't have the choice, but we still had to keep the lights on. And people loved that program watching it at home right? That kept us going. Now we come back from the pandemic and it's a great thing. I love all of the guys that have come in lately. CM Punk, Brian Danielson, Adam Cole, all these guys. We're the ones though, who made it safe for those guys to come here. I remember getting right. on the phone with John Moxley and Matt Hardy and, and Brody Lee, uh, God bless them, FTR and saying, you guys need to come here and still kind of like, "Ah, oh, we're not sure. Or should we do it? You guys, I'm telling you, Just take the step. I'm telling you that you've got wings. All you gotta do is take the step off the building and you take that scary step and suddenly you shoot up. We don't have to convince anybody anymore because now it's the safe place and the cool place to come. I take great pride in that. And I think Cody does and Kenny and the bucks and, and, and hangman page and Moxley and orange Cassie and MJF and everybody that was here kind of in the initial stage Sure, CM Punk is here. They wanted CM Punk at the beginning. He didn't want to come because he didn't want to come if it was kind of uh, taking a chance. And good for him. That's great. Now he's here. We don't ever have to try and get somebody on the phone and convince them to come here anymore because now people know this is the place to be. And I take great, great pride in that because we took a chance. It was a gamble. If it failed... All right, I'll go crawling back to WWE or maybe I would just go to New Japan and not worry about wrestling in the States anymore. But if we make it, suddenly Jericho's legacy is even more uh, locked in because I helped start this new company that basically changed the course of the entire wrestling business in less than two years.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I don't think that's hyperbole at all or hyperbole. I should say hyperbole. <laughs> what am I talking about?
3: Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky
2: Uh, I want to talk about Talk is Jericho. You mentioned that earlier. Um, it's a massively successful podcast. It's consistently in the top 50 podcasts in sports in the U.S., top 20 in Canada. I know also it's it rates, Chris, away from sports, too. So I'm not just saying it's a sports podcast because it's certainly not. Um, recent subjects, I just looked at your guest list recently, mysteries and conspiracies of the Denver airport. Uh, you talked about whales as sort of lonely figures in the ocean. Nancy Wilson of Heart uh John Moxley was on there, Ruby Soho was on there, Adam Cole was on there. So, it's not just a wrestling podcast. I would sort of call it a pop culture podcast that occasionally has wrestling and occasionally has other stuff. Um my sense is, although I want you to answer it, my sense is that you just have people on that you are interested in. Like you are interested in something and then you want to explore that is that the sort of the pov with how you yeah dude i mean you just
3: nailed it right from the start um when i first was approached about doing the podcast i said it can't be a wrestling podcast that would drive me crazy because there's only so much wrestling that i can handle and i have a huge like you just mentioned all those things I, I love the fact you just listed probably my last six or seven guests and you can just hear how diverse that uh topic list is there's a lot of things that that uh interest me i was a huge art bell fan art bell was uh, a a a great (laughs) late night conspiracy conspiracy, uh, paranormal you know
2: that's right heard in new york you think you're the antichrist
3: call this number uh we just used we used to drive late at night i remember in the late 90s in wcw and all you do is listen to art bell and as soon as it started fading out from one city it would Fade in from another city. Like you could listen to Art Bell all night long. I love that aspect of it—the paranormal, the supernatural, the conspiracy. I love rock and roll, obviously. Uh, I love wrestling. I love comedy. I love analyzing albums. I love analyzing movies. I love—I mean, you—you know—a documentary called *The Loneliest Whale*. That sounds interesting to me. What's that all about? A guy wants to do an interview. Let's talk about it. So, um, I think one of the things that I realized early on is I was a huge Johnny Carson fan when I was a kid, and I loved watching Johnny. Carson, I didn't care who the guest was. Obviously if Robin Williams was on, I'd be super excited, but if it was, you know, I don't know some other guy that I don't really know, uh, you know, the third lead from Karate Kid. I'd still watch it because I like Johnny Carson. So I based the whole show around Chris Jericho, around people need to trust me on who I have on because if you like me, you'll like these guests. And I, I'm fearless. I'll, tr- I, you know, pro surfer. I know nothing about pro surfing. Let's learn about it here on talk is Jericho. And then I can also have, you know, all right, let's have Lars. Ulrich from Metallica on dude. I don't have to do any study. I know everything about Metallica and we can just talk about whatever, but also too, when you have Lars on, what can you talk about with Lars that he doesn't talk about a thousand times? Well, I know he loves the new wave of British heavy metal. So do I, let's talk about that. You know, with slash let's talk about dinosaurs. He's a dinosaur fanatic. Who talks to Slash about dinosaurs? I do, because I love dinosaurs too. We talked for about an hour about dinosaurs. That's what you need to do. When I had Lemmy on, Lemmy said it was his favorite interview he'd ever done. Why? Because we talked about Faulty Towers and Chuck Berry and smoking cigarettes while we did it. That's what, that's what guys like to do, talk about stuff they don't usually like to talk about. So um, if it interests me, I'm hoping that it's going to interest my fan base. And it obviously has, because like you said, top 50 in sports, top 50 uh, in whatever category you want to call it. There is literally, Richard, a million podcasts, Not not, not exaggeration, a million podcasts. When I started, though, eight years ago, there wasn't a million podcasts, but I started building this brand. And what is a podcast? Let me explain it to you. Because when I first heard about a podcast, one of the first ones I did was Adam Carolla. And I'm like, what is Adam Carolla doing with a podcast? that's something you did in your basement and you put up on your website. And I walked into his studio, his podcast studio. And there's a big plaque that says, most listened to podcasts. And like I said, this was almost 10 years ago. And it was something like 700 million downloads. And I was like, what? What is this podcast thing? I better get into this. And by starting early and getting this fan base, now here we are eight years later with this hugely successful podcast that a lot of people want to be on because I've got a great reputation as somebody that you can have a fun conversation with. And that's what people want. They want to promote their shit, but they want to have fun because when you do a press junket, it's boring. Same question over and over and over and over and over again. You don't have to worry about that on my show. Come have some fun. Talk for an hour and, and move on to the next one.
2: Chris, you mentioned, uh, like, obviously, when it comes to, like, Lars Ulrich, Nancy Wilson, any well known musician, you could just rift. You're going to have that conversation. You're a musician yourself. It's not really going to be hard for you to do. But what is the preparation process for, like, when you have The Loneliest Whale on? Or if some, uh, I'll just make this up, there's some interesting artist that you don't know much about this artist's work. Like, do you yourself go do the preparation? Do you have a staff to do that? Because one of the things, obviously, um, even in sports media for me, even though I know most of the people I talk to, I will do as much research as I can because my whole goal is to just ask them things that maybe they were not asked before
3: about. The answer to that is no. Um, and, and, and for example, you mentioned Nancy Wilson, for example. Okay. So yeah, she's a musician, but I also know she's been doing this since the seventies. And this is a press junk of her. She doesn't know Chris Jericho. Someone might've told her who I am. We've never met. You know, now you're doing everything over Zoom. So the first time I ever really officially meet Nancy Wilson, it's like, okay, let's record good. Right, okay, we got Nancy Wilson here. I got I to gotta make a connection with her fast and also know that she has done interviews with everybody from the greatest to the ones that don't know what they're doing. So I need to really impress her fast. I got to show her that I'm funny. When I had Angus Young and, and Brian Johnson on, fuck, what do you say to Brian Johnson and Angus Young that hasn't been said before? And they're on together and they don't do a lot of press. The only reason why they did press for the last album is they were in a pandemic. So now I got a chance. I can hardly understand what fucking Angus is talking about. Thank goodness. I can see his face, but I also catch on <laughs> right away. Obviously he's super funny. He's got a great sense of humor and he's got a million stories. All I have to do is get in there and figure out a way to naturally get these stories out. It's not easy to do. Right. So let me just say that. Lonely as I just watched the documentary. That's it. I watch it. Okay. Let me talk about it. For most, if it's somebody that I don't really know, but I'm still interested in them, I might read their Wikipedia page, but here's the thing. And you'll know this as an interviewer, worst thing you could do when you come into an interview with me is pull out a list of questions. Cause I instantly know that you are a rookie. Okay. You're, you're very green. And the reason for that is when you pull out your questions they're more concerned about what question is next than listening to what I'm saying. Okay. When I had William Shatner on, he was asking me just as many questions as I was asking him because I would say something and he's paying attention. He goes, hold on a second. What do you mean by the fact that, uh, you know, whatever you, you drove your rent a car here today, where'd you get the rent a car hurts? Why hurts and not Avis right. you like hurts better. If you had anything, whatever it was. <laughs> and to me, it's like, you have to listen to what, Your guest is saying, because you might want to take it in this direction, but they might want to take it in that direction. And you can't, you can't fight city hall. Don't go upstream. Just go over here. And if there's something you really want to ask, bring it back. If it's natural, because if I go to a bar and we're sitting, let's say we're in an airport lounge or something, we have two hours to kill We and say, what's up, dude, what's your name? I'm Richard. I'm Chris. Where are you going? Whatever. I don't put a list of questions and go, okay, you meet a girl, you know, you don't, you just talk. (laughs) Whatever the interests are, that's where the conversation goes. And that's what I like to do with my show. I don't really call it an interview. It's a conversation. It's a chat. We're talking. Because when you get into interview territory, that's when it's like, what question am I going to ask next? What question are you going to ask next? If you're listening and the conversation interesting is interesting enough, you can go anywhere you want with it. And I do have a little notepad that I have with me. And I'll write down just words. You know, like, uh, what did I do? I had my interview yesterday. And you can see I wrote down why. And I circled it. There's something that I wanted to ask him. And so I wouldn't forget it. I just wrote down why. So when he's finished his train of thought, then I can say, so why is it that this happened or that happened? If I didn't write down why I might forget, but that's basically the amount of, uh, of, of research that I do, unless it's something really, really deep. If we're going to go into, I don't know, cryptocurrency or something like that, but also too, though, I don't know anything about cryptocurrency. So I would have to assume that my listeners don't either. So let's learn about it together. I did that with NFTs on the show. Let's let's explain what an NFT is so everyone listening can figure it out.
2: Last one on your podcast. Um, You have such a varied uh group of uh of of subjects. I mean, again, obviously, I just I just mentioned like your last six. I mean, if you can't get a sense of the diversity there, I, I'm not sure what else I could give you. Have you made any decisions in terms of subject areas that you don't want to go to. The one thing when I looked at your sort of list of subjects, Chris, is generally speaking, you will pretty much talk about anything. You don't really go that much into politics. You did have uh, Trump Jr. on, which I'm sure you got um, uh, criticism for. But the thing that was interesting about that is you actually acknowledged that this you would get criticism for this. It might be a controversial interview. So I wanted to get a sense from you that, Do you approach it that you'll go into any area or are there certain areas that ultimately, you know, maybe you want to stay away from because you are asking for some kind of polarization? Here's the thing. And and, and,
3: and I'm a journalist, right? I'm a trained journalist. I've got the diploma on the wall. Journalism is supposed to be neutrality. It's not anymore. It's all fucking opinions. Real journalism is reporting Reporting facts. And yes, I did have Donald Trump Jr., but what people don't say is I also had Andrew Yang on. So if you're going to go deep Republican, I also went deep Democrat. Okay. When I did a podcast about the conspiracies of 2020, uh, my conspiracy guy who will talk to you till the cows come home about how the flat earth is real, he was saying that COVID was all conspiracy. I got buried for that. But the next week, I had Dr. Alex Patel on from Toronto, one of the head doctors that you're in right now, who is saying can, that COVID is completely real. So if I'm going to go this way, I'll also go that way to tell both sides of the story. People don't want to hear that though. They don't want to hear, oh, Jericho had Andrew Yang on. What, what a political asshole. They had Donald Trump Jr. on. And I ask you as a journalist, who would not want to go to Trump Towers, go up to the 30th floor and have a meeting with the son of the president of the United States? I think that's pretty fucking cool as a journalist, whatever side of the coin you're on, even if you want to go out there and say that the president of the United States is the biggest asshole ever. And, and, and that might be my opinion too. No one really knows. But I thought as a journalist and as an experience, there's secret service guys right out the door and it's a clear window and you can see them standing there watching. That's a pretty cool life experience, I would say. So yes, I would do that. And I would do it again in a second. I don't really stay away from anything but if I'm going to go like I said if I'm going to go left no pun intended then I'll go right as well and it gives people uh different uh, uh, shades of maybe the same story. So I like that. I loved having, and like I said, I knew I was going to get crucified, having the conspiracy theorists, because once again, I am an Art Bell disciple. Would Art Bell have this guy on? You're damn right he would. But then I also had the doctor who was saying, listen, man, you know, people are dying here and we all know that. I'm not subscribing. Just because I have somebody on my show doesn't mean I believe anything they say. I had a guy who, who told an amazing story about how he and his brother were kidnapped by a family of Bigfoot. Is it real? Is it not? doesn't matter what I think. He believes it. He thinks it's real. And that's what makes a great guest is someone who's very committed to the story. You can say, oh, Jericho's a fucking idiot. He, he had these guys on that said they got attacked by Bigfoot and, and, and he thinks it's real. What a loser. And it's like, no, dude, it's, it's, it's one guy's story. And that's what journalism is. You tell the story. I give people a forum, no matter what it is that you want to talk about, to talk about it. I stay out of it. I'm Johnny Carson, man. Doesn't matter what I think. It's my show. My name's on the marquee. When you're my guest, what do you think? I like that. And I have no problems getting uh, flamed and roasted, you know, on Twitter. It happens to me on a daily basis. Don't really care. You really care less. That's the thing with social media is everyone's got an opinion. I'm just giving you guys entertainment, fun stuff to listen to. And here's the other thing. If you don't want to listen to the, the Donald Trump show, Jr., and you don't want to listen to Andrew Yang, just don't. If you don't like the flat earth concept or you don't like the loneliest whale, you don't like heart and Nancy Wilson, just don't listen. There's another episode coming up, you know, in three days. It's okay.
2: <laughs> I appreciate you answering that. What, By the way, your social media uh, experience, uh, how bad can it get for you? I'm sure, obviously, when you do something great, there's always people saying, oh, Chris, "Yeah, Chris, that I, last night's I, promo I, was awesome, blah, 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 blah I blah. learned very what, what's early the negative on, side on? I've,
3: I've had a website – Since 1996, I believe we created, I remember having web TV, which was, which was, uh, the first thing you would turn it on and it would take a while. It would like show this really shitty graphic of driving into a city. And then when it connected, I remember like, oh my gosh, I just got an email on my website from a guy in Yugoslavia. How the hell does that work? So I've been there since the start. And I learned early on, if you are going to wade in the waters of social media, of wrestling observer reviews, anything. You have to have thick skin because there are people that will tell you you're the greatest thing ever. And there's people that literally will will say, I wish you would die. Like, okay, really? You wish I would die? Is that where we're at now? You have to have a suit of armor. You can't take it seriously if they love you and you can't take it seriously if they hate you. If you're going to, if you're going to go in that, eat that, that forbidden fruit, you got to be cool with it, man. So I have never had a problem with that ever, ever, ever. If people don't like something that I do, it's fine. Especially on Twitter, because people, go, oh, someone so's trending on Twitter. You know what that means? Two thousand tweets. How many people on Twitter? Two billion. Nobody's even cares. It goes by so fast. So if they love you, it goes by so fast. If they hate you, it goes by so fast. And that's and that's basically it. So uh, have a suit of armor, have a thick skin, and don't believe the hype if they love you, and don't believe the hate if they don't like you. It's basically the best advice I can give.
4: Selling a little or a lot. to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast.
2: Let me I'm gonna finish last five minutes, Chris. I appreciate your time and uh and so we've promo it again. The big AEW card coming up for Chris, AEW Full Gear, November 13th at the Target Center yes. in Minneapolis. That is a good arena, by the way. Uh, you can purchase that on Pay-Per-View. Chris is in her circle against uh, American Top Team. Check that out. Uh, Pay-Per-View everywhere. All right, I am fascinated, Chris. I Whenever I have... Uh, um, Heyman on or Renee's been on many times or Renee Paquette is yeah. awesome, as I I'd imagine you think as well. Um I'm f- just I'm fascinated as a human being by wrestling promos. Um, because I think you can learn so much about life through them. Maybe that's a little bit too obvious, but I think politics, business, human connection, like I, I think there's a lot to learn there. You you have been rightfully called one of the best Thank on you. the mic. That's not bullshit. I think that's just it, it's yet yeah, it's subjective, but to me that's objective. Um, and, um, so, <laughs> and I'm laughing at this because my favorite promo that you have done in the last couple of years is you and Matt Hardy's drone Vanguard one. All right. So you literally were doing a promo where you got angry at a drone, which is genius to me. That's like pure improv. I was laughing. I'm watching this in Toronto, laughing my ass off going fucking Jericho is a genius. Like he's literally acting with a drone. And he's making me believe that he's pissed off at <laughs> the drone. I don't know how he's doing this shit, but he's doing it. So I wonder, like, so I just want to ask a couple like very granular questions. Um, do you, for your promos, do you sketch them? Do you write them down somewhere? Um, and if you do write them down somewhere, do you do you practice them in a mirror or ahead of time? Can you? I, I realize again, you could do this for five hours, but as as sort of brief as you want to be, what is your process? when it comes to promos? Because you have literally done them with humans and you have literally done them <laughs> um,
3: with drones. Yeah, that was funny with the drone. I'm glad you caught that. Uh, and once again, you just have to commit. It's I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a groundling. If you've ever heard of the groundlings, the improv group, I am a honorary groundling yes. as named Red by line, yep. Mindy Sterling, the director of the troupe. Uh, I, I worked with them for, for about eight months. Um, you have to commit. And for something like the drone, you commit and you make people believe this fucking drone is real. And I'm pissed off at it. I'm going to smash it. That's just how it works. And that's what we're going to do. So um, how do I do a promo? Well, it's, it's it's you know, I do write them down because I need to get my thoughts in order. And sometimes it's only an hour before the show. And sometimes it works great and sometimes it doesn't work. But uh, basically just put my thoughts together, I'll write them down kind of bullet points, and then just kind of think about it and let it sit for a bit. And, you know, if you're going to tell some kind of a joke or some kind of an insult, you better make sure it's good, you know, and once again, you better commit to it. Um, And and, and you can't force it. It just has to come to you. I used to hate that in WWE. It's like you need an insult here. And if you didn't have the right one, you'd go out there. And I remember Vince made John Morrison use the insult of platypus dung. And I'm like, John, you can't say that. That's not. No one's gonna laugh. He goes, Well, Vince wants me to say it. I said, Just say you forgot to say it. Yeah. Of course, he said it. It dies, and then you know, like whatever. But um, so you you have to be confident. You have to have your thoughts in mind, but you also have to be cognizant too that if things change once again, like a conversation, if something happens, you got to roll with that too. <laughs> so there is. It's, it's almost like, I think if you asked Wayne Gretzky, we mentioned him earlier, how does he score a goal? It's probably hard to explain because it's just something that he does. And it's always been that way for promos for me because I was, when I first started in 1990, I wasn't the biggest guy. I knew I would never be the biggest guy in the show, but I could have the most personality, the most charisma and, and have the best character. You know, and I remember driving, it's one of my favorite stories. Driving down for my first promo ever at the Silver Dollar Action Center in Calgary. And uh, it was for the uh, Super Summer Sizzler match or whatever it was, the fall brawl match. And they said, You got to make sure to promote the midgets are here. That was the big thing. You got to promote the midgets. So you're on the show, but promote the midgets. And as I was driving down, Dave Lee Roth's new record, A Little Ain't Enough, had just come out. And they were doing a special. And Dave was doing like, you know, inserts and talking. And they're playing songs from the album. And he said, there's a fine line between a pat on the back and a kick in the pants. So let's dance. And I just thought that's the greatest thing ever. I'm going to say that in my promo and total shoehorned it in there and said it with no conviction whatsoever. And David Lee Roth can say that line. And it sounds like the coolest thing ever. Chris Jericho at 19 years old could not say that. You know what, Mike Adams, there's a fine line between a pat on the back and a kick in the pants. So let's dance. Next week, the midgets are here. Like I had no idea what I was saying, but at least I took a chance <laughs> right. and tried to have some charisma and over time that came. So it's been ingrained in my system as a good guy or as a bad guy, being fearless, committing, not worrying what, what people think about you. Oh, they might think I'm an idiot for saying this. None of that stuff matters. You, if you're locked in and you believe what you're saying, like you said, if people believe, if I believe that this drone is real, other people will believe this drone is real as well. And that's the most important thing about a promo.
0: You have to believe what you're saying and be committed to it. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
2: The the last thing I wanted to ask you about this, and again, this is just, it's like sort of fascinating to me. Um, One of the things that the audience loves is when uh, a wrestler breaks the proverbial fourth wall, whether intentionally or not. And I remember Seth Rollins was on this podcast a couple months ago, and he said that John Cena would be one who would tell him to like go go as hard at me as as you want bring up my real life like take it to a reality based place where the audience thinks like things are dangerous and i wonder chris from your perspective um like do you have a thought process on um that line between realism and yeah. um you know and a promo and and a work and because like to me like if you can play on that line, I'm just telling you as an audience member, I love that because it feels like there's something dangerous about that well, promo, I, I, even I though I know it's part agree
3: of the with half of that. Um, people at this point in time know that this is show business and there's only so deep you can go. Um, you know, I, I think that, for example, there was a line a few weeks ago that MJF used about Lex Luger being in a wheelchair to sting. I don't think that gets heat. I think that makes people feel uncomfortable. I think it makes yeah, pe- people feel bad and you don't want that. You know what I mean? So there is a fine line between, between, you know, using real life issues and going to inside baseball where it's like, I don't know what this guy's talking about, but it just, it just doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? And to me, that is the fine line of, of a pre- of pro wrestling promo. If it's something in the universe that people know, then you can use it. If it's been on the show or something, if it's something behind the scenes, well, your dad was a drunk and it's like, where did that come from? His dad's a drunk. Well, that sucks. Fuck. My dad was a drunk too. He used to beat the shit out of me. Fuck. I don't want to watch this show anymore. That's the way I feel it. I don't think it gets more heat. I think it actually gets reverse heat, which is people just going, ah, we know this is a show. We don't really, it'd be, you know, it's like if watching the new Star Wars movie and they go, hey, you know, Kylo Ren, you know, your your mom uh, in real life, you know, I don't know, had an abortion when she was 16. And it's like, what does that have to do with fucking Kylo, Kylo Ren? Like, it's two different things. Right. So I think I think there's a fine line to it. You can make things seem real with your intentions and the way you say things and the, and the, and the, and the words you use. That makes it real with with the you give me a chinese menu i can do a promo on you richard that'll make it feel real this fucking kung pao is is really spicy and you're going to get it because of that whatever right so you got to be careful and people sometimes go oh, i'm going to say this this and this and they're going to get major heat and people just kind of sit there going i don't know what he's talking about so there's a fine line
2: last one chris um you can um you know you're still performing at your age, which is phenomenal. Uh, I mean, you and Sting, it's just, Sting's, it's amazing, Sting's twelve right years
3: older than me, so give giving me up, I feel like I've watched you. Got,
2: <laughs> I know, no, I do. It's like seeing seeing guys yeah. who were wrestling in my childhood wrestling today. It makes me, it, it, right? It, it gives it gives me fountain of youth uh, enthusiasm here. Um, but you've also occasionally, Chris, you've been behind the mic. You know, whether it's with Jim and Shivani, and I think the interesting thing about you is I could see you being a heel or babyface commentator like I, you could sort of do anything in that role does that have any in, do you have any interest in that as you continue to sort of advance in your obviously in-ring career or is that something that either feels too distant or is it something that maybe you'll just explore every now and then like you've been doing sometimes on the show
3: yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I had, I mean, we, we did the, the broadcasting basically by necessity when everything was shut down and we had to do, uh, we filmed 26 matches in one day uh, last April. Tony probably, Tony does know the exact date. I don't remember. And we kept the show on for four weeks with, I think it was 29% of our roster when everything was getting locked down. And I was like, I'll just, I'll come in and do commentary because the, the plan was for me to be a guest commentator that week. And I said, well, instead of just doing it for the week, I'll just do it the whole time. And then, you, you know, you got me locked in. So that's what we did. And it, it worked out good. Tony Schiavone and I had great chemistry. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I took a real Bobby Heenan, Jesse Ventura uh, mindset towards it. And I think Tony Khan kind of put that into his, yep. into his you know, library and keep that for later. And then when uh, Rampage came up, he said, I want you to do commentary on Rampage. And I said, that's great. Sure. I love it. So, it's yeah, it is something I would probably transition to. I have fun with it. I enjoy that side of things. Um, I like being on camera. I, I uh, Behind the scenes, I like giving advice and that sort of thing. Being a, a producer or an agent or a coach, as we call them, I don't know if I could do that well. Um, I don't know if I could really explain ideas. I like helping But I like kind of being on camera, like you said. And also, too, like, you know, Tuesday, I'll be 51 years old. I don't feel it. Um, I I think that, you know, I'm still contributing at at the highest of levels. Uh, I was never the fastest wrestler or the most high-flying. I can still do all the stuff that I always did. But now it's the storylines, you know, the promos, uh, keeping things kind of really interesting and moving forward. And like we mentioned, my, my, my demos and ratings are always near the top thanks to everyone watching. But I think it's because I keep it interesting for people and you can't teach experience. And if there was no AEW, I don't even know if I'd still be wrestling, but because there is, it's exciting for me. I love being a part of it. I love working here. I love showing up for work every week. Um, And I think that goes a long way to, if you are satisfied and excited mentally and creatively, that makes the physical go a lot longer too. Uh, When you start feeling stifled and start getting angry, uh, and, and feel that like you're not really doing what you want to be doing. I think the physical gets a lot worse as well. So those two combined is really keeping me excited and really, really enjoying what I'm doing and being a part of AW. I feel great. I have zero injuries. Um, so there's no reason to, to not continue going.
2: Excellent. Chris, I really enjoy this. Let me give you one more promo here before, uh, before we get out of here. Uh, Chris Jericho is, uh, in AW. And again, if you, um, if you follow wrestling, you know who he is. I don't really have to go through his resume. AE full, AEW Full Gear comes up November 13th at 8 p.m. at the Target Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Purchase that on um, pay-per-view. Uh, massive uh, U.S.-Canadian providers have that. Uh, you can stream that as well. Uh, Chris, good luck with the book. I saw that you have uh, your latest book is out, uh, and I got to uh, at least see a, like sort of a little bit of that with all the uh, matches that you've chronicled uh, during your career, different lists of opponents that, uh, um, you've done. I know Alex Marvez was part of that's very cool, man. I'm not sure I've seen that book by any wrestler of your level. And I think if you're a wrestling fan, that's, uh, that's a pretty awesome thing to get sort of your thought process on how you've approached these matches. So I wish you the best of luck with that.
3: Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate that. and It's been great talking to you, dude. Thank you,
2: Chris. Thank you. Stay healthy, man. Chris Jericho, everybody. All right, back in the studio. Uh, my thanks to Chris Jericho, who gave me a lot of time. Uh, I found that really interesting. I think again, he's one of the he's one of the most interesting performers in professional wrestling that's existed in my lifetime. Just again, based on his reinvention, based on the success that he's had both domestically and abroad, is a really interesting guy who's been able to morph his um, morph his talents into places beyond wrestling as you know with the his successful podcast and uh, his music and writing bestsellers uh the one thing i would say i actually do not agree with chris on um i don't there are certain people that i would not have on this podcast including a couple people he mentioned so i there are people i would not even if they were interesting in sort of the abstract there are people i would not have on uh, this podcast but i but i appreciate chris's honesty when it uh, when it when it came to that interview, and, um, and again, if you're a fan of professional wrestling and you're interested in promos, um, you know, like Paul Heyman, that you just got a PhD in terms of how they're done. Uh, previous guests on this podcast, the week before, we had Robert Griffin III of ESPN, who's uh, really emerging as a terrific college football analyst, and Katie Strang and Mark Lazarus, my colleagues at The Athletic, on um, the uh, Kyle Beach story and what is going on with with the NHL following the Jenner and Block investigation. They were, not surprisingly, excellent. Before that, Holly Rowe, who's now a Utah Jazz analyst, in addition to being an ESPN longtime ESPN reporter, and Jimmy Trena. Prior to that, the the NFL's emails featuring um, New York Times writer Ken Belson, who's been at the forefront of that reporting, and Jamel Hill, and then before that, Jeff Van Gundy was the guest on this podcast. Um, leave us a five-star review and a note if you like this podcast. That's, uh, that's how this podcast continues. It's the only way, quite frankly. It continues as, uh, you know, this is an independent podcast. And while I have a ton of people on for The Athletic, it's, uh, it's separate from The Athletic. So it's really the only way it sticks around is if people will listen and people like it. As always, I appreciate Patrick Anthony's work on this podcast, doing a great job uh, producing. And, of course, thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on Sports Media Podcast.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.